The following message is from Pastor Lester Cruzat of Emmanuel Community Church. More information about the ministry of Emmanuel Community Church can be found at emmanuelcommunity.org. to see you all. We are, um, we're going to actually talk about uh, the poor today. Okay, and so uh, let's start with this, um, this film right here. Uh, in the video, we see the reaction of, uh, you know, various people who were, you know, pretty well-to-do. And when they were given money by someone playing the role of someone who was poor or homeless, the, um, the very act of being offered money to someone they considered higher than uh, it exposed um, an ugliness of pride. Uh, there are many distortions in how we see the poor and obstacles within, a, within us that hinder a right heart in seeing and having an appropriate posture towards the poor. Uh, we may see easily, we may see easily the ugliness of um, the ugliness that surged out towards the poor in that video. But are we aware of maybe some of maybe some hidden ugliness within us? Or at the very least, maybe some apathy for the poor, maybe not even having a second thought about them throughout um, our daily lives. Uh, it may not be as blatantly obvious as overt to what we just saw from, the, from this little social experiment here. But there are some off things in us as well when it comes to the poor. Uh, maybe in some of us there is an inner belief that actually says uh, poor people are poor because they are lazy. Right? If, if they would just stop milking the system, right, get, get out there and just apply themselves, get a job, get educated, uh, just like the rest of us, their problems would just be wiped away and the world would be a better place for all of us. And I'm just asking us just to be honest with ourselves during this time, okay? Just to be really honest with ourselves. Do you really, do you think poorly of the poor? Or maybe not even think of them at all? Now, even with, even uh, with an inner deep prideful posture over the poor or neglect towards the poor, you know, our society knows that it's an honorable thing. It's an honorable thing, a good thing to care for them, to help them, right? To defend and speak to those who are voiceless. But the question is, like, why? Why should we care? Why should we? You know, can, can the reason be something more than outside pressure from society to do the right thing? Right? Could it be more than just a mentality of civil duty? Or, political, or a political agenda? Could it be more than just a good feeling that we actually helped someone um, kind of using our power and privilege? Why should we consider and care for the poor? Why should we care about them? In Isaiah 58, where God commanded his prophet Isaiah to outline the path to blessing and distinguishing between ritual and responsibility to his chosen people, um, Isaiah says this, um, a direct message from the Lord. Verse 1. Um, I, don't, I don't have it up there, but I'm just going to read it to you. 
Uh, cry aloud, do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their transgression, to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. Why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. Going down to verse 5. Is such the fast that I choose? A day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of wickedness? To undo the straps of the yoke? To let the oppressed go free? And to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? Then shall your light break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as noonday. Did you catch it? Did you hear that? The Israelites weren't going out worshiping foreign idols or participating in sinful orgies. They weren't going out doing cultish forbidden ceremonies. They were full of self-piety. Right? They were faithful to worshiping. Right? They, they, they were offering sacrifices. They were celebrating religious holidays. They were fasting and they were praying. These were faithful churchgoers. And frequent participants in the spiritual disciplines. Yet they were rebuked. God was utterly disgusted with their religious acts. Why? Why? God was furious over Israel's failure to care for the poor and the oppressed. Verses 2 and 3 says, uh, um, verses 6 to 7, going back to the passage, says this. Is it not this fast that I choose to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, and to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh. God wanted his people to clothe the naked. He wanted his people to pour themselves out for the hungry. He wanted his people to treat the poor like their own flesh, meaning, a.k.a., like their own family. God's own people were after the king without the kingdom. I'll say it again. God's own people were after the king without the kingdom. You can't have one without the other. You cannot have a king without a kingdom. You can't have a vertical relationship without the horizontal one. Matthew 6.33 says what? Seek first what? His kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be added on to you. As we look into the Old Testament scriptures, God gave Moses numerous commands instructing Israel to care for the poor. From Exodus 23, the Sabbath guaranteed a day of rest for slaves and the alien. Deuteronomy 15, 1-8 was the Sabbath year that canceled all debts, uh, set slaves free, and allowed the poor to actually glean the fields. 
Leviticus 25, Deuteronomy 14, Leviticus 19, all these laws about debt, tithing, and gleaning ensure that the poor would be cared for each day of the year. The commands were so extensive that it was designed to achieve this one goal. All of these commands were, achieve, were designed to achieve this one goal. As told in Deuteronomy 15.4, there should be no poor among you. The ultimate goal of all of these laws was to eradicate poverty among God's people. Proverbs 21.13, whoever closes his ear to the cry of the poor will himself call out and not be answered. Proverbs 31.8.9, open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. Proverbs 28.27, whoever gives to the poor will not want, but he who hides his eyes will get many a curse. That's the Old Testament. In the New Testament, we see the same pattern and concern for the poor from Jesus himself all the way to his blessed bride, the church. From the very beginning, Jesus' ministry, in Jesus' own self-proclamation of his messiahship and the nature of it, says this in Luke 4, 18 and 19, his proclamation, his first proclamation in, in um, launching his ministry to the world. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Who did Jesus receive while others were shoving them away? Who did he, who did he love to hang out with? Who did Jesus say were the heirs of his kingdom? Yeah. Children and the poor, the messy, the costly, the inconvenient, these are the heirs of the kingdom. Acts 6, they created, the church created a whole office called deacons so that they can, what, help widows, a demographic that couldn't support themselves. Galatians 2, 1 to 10, Paul, with his conviction to take the gospel to the Gentiles, and asking for a blessing from the apostles, namely Peter, James, and John. They tell him, you have our blessing. But the last words they tell him, they have a, a final request. Their last words they tell him as he goes off to proclaim the gospel. Paul says this, verse 10. Only they asked, they, the apostles, the official apostles that blessed me to go to preach the gospel to Gentiles, to non-Jews. They asked us to remember the poor. The very thing I was eager to do. And James 1.27, religion, true religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and keep oneself unstained from the world. These are just a few of the more than 2,000, more than 2,000 verses in the Bible. Why, why, so, why so many verses, right? Well, how come it's, it's just spread and spewed all over the Bible? Why is that? Maybe because God uh, knew that these were, this was a, a people group, a, a demographic that would be neglected? Maybe. But maybe it's because of this. God wanted to share his passion and care. His steadfast love for the poor. So I ask again, why should we care about the poor? I'm going back to that question in the beginning. Why should we care about the poor? Because God 
deeply cares about the poor. Because God deeply cares about the poor. God has a special place in his heart for the poor. And as followers of Christ, we are too as well. His concern and love for them is endless. So endless, he, he takes it personally as to how we treat them or don't treat them. In Matthew 25, 30, 31 to 46, Jesus talks about the final judgment. And King Jesus goes out and he separates the sheep from the goats. The goats, excuse me, the sheep are true believers. They've been living in the king's immense love and they've experienced his hospitality and kindness and goodness. And from that experience, they too became hospitable and loving and kind. They were the ones that were clothing the poor. These were the feeding the hungry, giving drink to the thirsty. These were the sheep. And as the passage goes on, he talks about the goats and how it's just flipped. They were opposite. They didn't do those things, right? This was not a message of salvation. This was not a message of you do this and then you're saved and you go to heaven. This was a message of the characteristics of God's people. Verse 35, for I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was, I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. These are the sheep. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you and feed you? And uh, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And, and when did we see you a stranger and become and welcome you or naked and clothe you? Verse 39, and when did we see you sick or in, a, in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Wow. It's it's not only a passion for the poor, it's total compassion. It's total empathy for the poor, right? He, he identifies himself with them. The way you treat them is, the, is how you treat me, okay? You neglect, you dismiss, you continue to live in your own ignorance, blindness, empathy, uh, apathy from a hardened heart towards the poor. You do, you do so to God as well. Uh, question, have you ever... Have you ever cringed, right? Have you ever cringed when you saw someone get seriously hurt? Right. Now, why is that, right? Why are you cringing there? It's because, it's because maybe you know what it felt like, okay? Um, when we got word that our, you know, Pastor Steve um, uh, broke his collarbone from, from softball practice, right? And he does have the gift of picking images and pictures. And when he picked that picture, man, I was in sackcloth and ashes. I'm like, oh, I, just, I just wanted to pray for him right away. And um, I cringed. I was hurting. I was sad because why? Because I had two shoulder surgeries in the course of my life. And for him to go through that, being able to miss out on activities and sports and just having the hindrance of having a sling, not being able to, to do just normal daily activities because of a limb, because of an injured limb. I was just like, oh, man, that stinks. And I was in anguish for him. Why? Because I, I knew what that felt like. I knew exactly what that felt like. God knows what it feels like. He feels the poor's pain. He identifies with them. There is a special place for the poor in his heart. And it's personal to him, the way in which we treat them. Now, listen, my, you know, my intention 
is not to pummel you with a bunch of Bible verses, okay? It's not to pummel you into a puddle of guilt and say, great, you know, I stink. What I do desire is for all of us, including myself, just a growing conviction directly from the Word of God and the transformative power of the Holy Spirit in creating in us an ever-increasing attention and concern for the poor. And each of us have our different journeys in doing that, okay? However the Lord is working his heart in you, it is just so different. It's like a fingerprint. It's unique to all of us. The journey in becoming like him, like Jesus, is just, it's different for everybody. Either way, the pattern of a true disciple of Christ is always a greater realization of the greatest commandment. And what is the greatest commandment? The greatest commandment, right, is to love God with our entire being and to love others with our entire being. That is the greatest commandment. That is, that is the goal. That is the, that is the end result of God's transformative works in our lives. We are to see the poor as God sees them. It's not enough that we think or feel like it's a good thing, like it's our duty. It's not about blame. It's not through imposed judgmental narratives upon their lives. That's not our place. It must come from a divine, God-sourced compassion and love that only he can bring and wants us to acquire. If you're serious about discipleship, being a Christ follower, and becoming more like Jesus from the inside and out, then having the poor and oppressed, the voiceless involved in your lives in whatever way, big or small, involved in your minds and hearts and hands, it's a trait that all those who are truly submitted to the king's rule and humbled by the Father's love, all of that, would sh- it's all of us would share in that. Why should we care about the poor? Because his concerns are our concerns. And because we, he wants to create a Holy Spirit-led compassion for the least of these in our hearts. I think this verse sums, and sums everything up pretty well. It hits it on the head. First John three sixteen to 18. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for, our brothers, for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Um, there was a, uh, during the VBS, um, there was a the great class conducted by uh, Miss Petra, Petra Choi, and she did a class on missions for the children. And she showed various videos about uh, what missions can look like around the world. And, and one particular one, there was one about mission, doing missions here. And so let me um, play that video for you real quick. Um, you know, being part of this food pantry ministry uh, for a little bit over a year now, um, I've actually seen some pretty amazing things uh, during that course of the year. I've seen some awesome partnerships between the very churches that worship here in this very same building. Uh, not only us, but our Savior and the Wave of Vida coming together, uh, joining together to see this effort happen. I've seen other pantries join us in partnership to make sure that we are switching and sharing food so that our community can be fed. 
We've joined up with other ministries, namely the immigration ministry, to help these immigrants and guests with their, with, with their legal problems. Um, man, there's just, there's, there, are times, <laughs> there are times when I'm like, we don't have enough manpower to do this food pantry or stock day, and then you all step up, heeding God's call to, to help. There are other times when I'm like, we don't have enough food, and all of a sudden the Lord provides in crazy ways. Uh, the most recent one, the most recent one that I can maybe just share with you is that, um, I don't know if you knew this, but the library across the street in Indian, um, Indian Trails Library, they actually have a garden there. Um, and, and it's actually uh, cultivated uh, by a master gardener, uh, by two master gardeners that are there. Okay? Um, I didn't know that. I didn't know that at the time. Okay, so there's that. Uh, we decided as a ministry to stop doing, uh, maybe just, we usually do our pantries every third Saturday of the month. We decided to switch it every first Saturday of the month. So we're, we're trying, so, so July, this upcoming July, July, I believe it's 16, um, um, that will be our last food pantry on the third day, on the third Saturday of that month. So we're going to immediately go to August 6th to start having our pantry in the first week of the month. So that's, that's kind of like a quick turnaround right there. That's like two weeks turnaround. I'm like, okay, where are we going to get the food to do that? All of a sudden, this master gardener contacts me and was like, hey, you know, we usually donate to, to this other pantry, uh, but we want to donate locally. And we found out that you're right across the street. So we have kids harvesting with us, and um, we would love to give you that fresh produce, if you'd like. And I was like, oh, man, that's awesome. That's crazy. But will the timing work? Will the timing work? And actually, she was like, and I was chuckling. Uh, there was some miscommunication in terms of dates and everything. But overall, what happened was they actually harvest with the children the morning of our pantry uh, on the 16th and on August 6th. And so <laughs> we're getting fresh fruit uh, and vegetables and produce from this uh, garden across the street. Uh, freshly picked and coming over to feed the community. Isn't the Lord amazing? I mean, the Lord is like, it's, it's crazy, right? And that's, now with all that said, right, with all, I'm, I'm leaving out some stories here, all right, but with all that said, the underlying truth about all that, with all of I've seen and, and, and the amazing, the amazing miraculous things I've seen in this food pantry, the underlying truth, the underlying message that I think I can, that I've learned from all this is that God has a heart for the poor. God loves the poor. You know what he also loves? He loves his people allocating what he's grown and what he's created to those in need. He loves that as well. I want to end with this. Um, in the 1830s, um, this, this uh, pastor made, uh, named Robert, McShane, Robert Murray McShane did a, did a sermon on it is more blessed to give than to receive. And um, here's an excerpt from that. He says this. Now, dear Christians, some of you pray night and day to be made branches of the true vine. You pray to be made all over in the image of Christ. If so, you must be like him in giving. Though he was rich, yet for our sake he became poor. Objection. My money is my own. Answer. Christ might have said, my blood is my own. My life is my own. No man forceth it from me, then where should we have been? Objection. The poor are undeserving. Answer. Christ might have said the same thing. They are wicked rebels against my father's law. Shall I lay down my life for these? I will give to the good angels, but no. He gave his blood for the undeserving. 
Objection. The poor may abuse it. Christ. Answer. Christ may have said the same. Ye, with far greater truth, Christ knew that thousands would trample his blood under their feet, that most would despise it, that many would make it an excuse for sinning more, yet he gave his own blood. Oh, my dear Christians, if you would be like Christ, give much, give often, give freely to the vile and the poor, the thankless and the undeserving. Christ is glorious and happy, and so will you be. It is not your money I want, but your happiness. Remember his own word is more blessed to give than to receive. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Let's pray. Mm -hmm.